Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn in your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to finish the chapter today. Wow. That means we only have 14 more verses to finish 2 Corinthians. Now, you see, some of you thought you'd never live to see that day. Well, it's not over yet. You may not. <laughs> we have a while yet. We've been talking about suffering for the sake of Christ. And this is part four of that little mini-series as we've been going through 2 Corinthians verse by verse by verse. I want to talk today about the part people play in weakness. The part that people play in weakness. I used to say, I used to say this all the time. <clears throat> I don't know why I would do that, but I used to say, if it wasn't for people, I could live the Christian life. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said it or have you ever thought it? Now, raise your hand. Be honest. Is it be totally, <laughs> see there, you've been the same place. Uh, now that I've lived for a little longer and understand a little bit more about the Christian life, I realize that now if it wasn't for people, I wouldn't even understand the Christian life. I don't know how it works in your life, but in my life, as for me, God uses people more than anything else to drive me to the end of myself. He'll parachute a brother that I didn't know existed into my life. And he'll command me to love that brother when I don't even like him. He'll bring me to the place of understanding what he's been trying to teach me in the Word. I can't. He never said I could. He can. And he always said he would. You know, most Baptists particularly can't even get along with themselves, much less anybody else. I heard about that Baptist guy that got on his plane one day, and he decided to fly, see, see how far he could fly out over the ocean. Didn't realize the tailwind that was behind him. And as further he flew, I mean, the wind was carrying him even further. And he got so far out, he turned around and realized he didn't have enough gas to get back. And he made a crash landing on an isolated island. And for 30 years, nobody found him. He lived by himself on an island for 30 years. <clears throat> One day, miraculously, they discovered him. And when they saw him, it was great joy. And they, they looked around in amazement what he had done to that island. He had built three buildings by his, by his own hands, made his furniture, made everything out of his own hands. He had really learned how to survive. And so he took him in and showed him his house and everything that he had made there. And they came out and they said, well, what are these other two buildings? He said, well, that building there is the church I used to attend. This is the one I go to now. <laughs> That's about the way we are, isn't it? <laughs> the reason I bring this up, you say, Wayne, why would you even start this way? Is because it was people 
the hurtful, critical people of Corinth that brought Paul to his knees. That was really the essence of his weakness. His weakness was largely because of what they did to him and what they said about him. Almost every word used by Paul in verse 10 of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians was the result of what people had done to him. It says in verse 10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses. And then any time Paul makes a list, look at the first thing. That's the main thing. The rest of it seems to sort of edify that. He says, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. But the, the sweet thing about it was, that's the bitter part, the sweet part of it was that in this weakness that people had driven him to, he found that Christ's strength was made perfect. He, he had to be weak in order to understand the message that he preached to everybody else. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because of the pain that was caused in Paul's life by those in Corinth, Many think that the thorn he mentions back in verse 7 that we've already talked about, that that thorn would possibly be a person that God put into his life. We talked about that when we went through, but that's one of the reasons. Because when he talks about his weaknesses, etc., it's in what people have done to him. We don't know for sure. But if there's one thing I want you to realize this morning is that even though in God's, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect, and, and that is truly what happens. He teaches us to love. He, he not only teaches us how, he enables us to love. He produces his love in us. That's the fruit of his spirit working in our lives, even for people that are critical and hurt us and do harm to us. But I want you to know today that even though the strength is made perfect in weakness, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that weakness is painless. Don't ever, don't, don't, don't think that. Paul realized the strength of Christ living in him, and he loved the Corinthians as much or maybe even more than he did other places because of the, of the bad way they treated him. Sometimes it works that way. But he still felt the pain of what they had done and said about him. I can promise you there's no greater pain. And you, if you've lived long and you've been in the church and you've been a Christian for a long time, there's no greater pain than the pain that one believer can cause upon another. Now, we expect it in the world, and that's why I'm making this statement. You don't expect it inside the church. We used to do this in our in new members' classes when I was pastoring in Chattanooga. The first day that they met, we'd say, we're so glad you're here, but let me tell you that it probably won't be a week until somebody in this church offends you. <laughs> and it was like, thanks a lot. Boy, we're really looking forward to this, you know. But we were trying to help them understand what's real. Not everybody within the church wants to live a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. There, there are different levels of faith. There, there's some people that won't give him time of day. There's some people that will come to church and never even look at the Word of God. And, and they're going to live after their flesh. And that flesh is going to offend. And that's when it catches us off guard. And this is what brought Paul to his knees. It wasn't the, the persecution of the Romans or the persecution of the world. It was the persecution of the believers in the church that criticized and brought him down. In verse 11 and following of chapter, in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, we hear the pain, or at least I do. I hear the pain coming out of Paul's voice. He's getting to the end of the letter now. And you can sense that there's almost like a weariness that's in him, a weariness of having to deal with the criticism that was, first of all, completely off of the wall, based on wrong information. 
You can just sense it coming out of him. Instead of being respected for his calling and respected for his walk and respected for the work of the Holy Spirit that had been done through him, Paul is really left hung out to dry by the people that should have stood up for him. Paul should never have been put in a place to where he would have to defend himself. He hated to do that. He hated to speak of himself. But the unfounded evil accusations against him from those he served with all of his heart forced him into having to defend himself. How bittersweet it really is. It's bitter in the sense of the pain, and you will feel the pain, but it's sweet in the fact that God will even give you a love, a servant love, for the people that treat you the way they treat you. Paul's greatest hurt was inflicted by those that God had used him to set them free. Verse 11, I have become foolish, he says. You yourselves compel me, he says to them. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. It's interesting some of the words he chooses to use here. The verb, I have become, in that little phrase, I have become, is in the perfect tense. Perfect tense means that something has happened to cause me to do what I'm doing. And the word compelled is the word anakazo, which means to force somebody into doing something. Paul says, you forced me to defend myself, and you know I hate to do that. I have become foolish, he says. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. <laughs> Paul's reference to the eminent apostles here is tongue-in-cheek. It's a little sarcasm here, spiritual sarcasm, I guess you'd say, because these people were calling themselves apostles, and he says, what? They even call themselves chief apostles, and he says, that's ridiculous. And then he says, though I'm a nobody, it's probably referring to a phrase that the, that the critics were using of Paul. But you know there's something else here? If you study the Apostle Paul's life, he never thought of himself as a somebody. You ever been around Christians that think of themselves as a somebody? Paul never did think of himself as a somebody. He was a nobody who had a somebody living in him. And he found his identity in him. And so his, the nobody pointed to a somebody. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting twist of words. But Paul never saw himself as, as a somebody. It's like what he said in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 10. He said, I, I am what I am by the grace of God. Let me read that verse to you. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet, I know it wasn't me, but the grace of God with me. See, God was so using the Apostle Paul that you would wonder how could anybody at the church of Corinth miss the validity of his life. But flesh, and this is the point that I think we all need to understand, flesh cannot see beyond itself. People that live after the flesh have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. And so once again, we see Paul, in a, and I pick it up, it's a weariness that's in him having to counter the deceitful, hurtful criticism that has been hurled his way. And don't ever forget, yes, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect, absolutely, but don't ever think that weakness is painless. It's very painful. 
And you will bear the pain of what people say about you, what they do to you. You'll bear it for a long time. But grief is a clean wound. It just takes time to heal. It will heal. But you'll feel the pain. We're human. And we, we're not there yet. And we will feel the pain. It's just like Paul did. Well, always be assured, it is those whom God commends that are approved, whether they're appreciated by man or not. Paul was a proven man. They just couldn't see it. But he was unappreciated by those who should have known better. Uh, th there are three ways in which he was proven. And I want us to take this message and apply it to our lives this morning. Let it be an encouragement to you if you're seeking to live a life yielded to Christ and people do not appreciate that fact. And maybe people are criticizing you for what, one thing or another. But also let it be a challenge to you. Make sure that every day you, you can say that you, you can truthfully go before God and know that these things are present in your life. This is what Christ does in and through a yielded believer. And he will prove us. It's never a matter of what people say. That's not, not it at all. It's what God says. Remember, he that God commends is approved. And if you can live that way, don't worry about mankind. God will prove you amongst them when he gets good and ready. Three things. First of all, he was proven by the effectiveness of his ministry. Verse 12. He says the signs of a true apostle, a true apostle, in comparison to the false apostles there in Corinth, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders, excuse me, and miracles. Now you say, Wayne, what are the signs of a true apostle? What are you talking about here? What's a true apostle? First of all, make sure we understand this morning that we don't have true apostles today like the, those appointed by Christ in New Testament times. I've said this before, and I, I hope you will help me with it. If I ever get up here and say, God has commissioned me to be an apostle, walk up here and take me by the hand, lead me someplace and have me committed because I've lost my mind. We don't have apostles today like you had apostles then. Now, you can take the word apostolos, which is the word for apostle, one who's sent forth with a message. You could use that in a generic sense of a missionary or whatever, but you do not have apostles today like the apostles that were appointed by Christ, and they served to get the gospel out, but they also gave us the New Testament. We, we, the canon's closed. It's not open. We don't have apostles like this today. But the signs of a true apostle were not in how much they charged for the people to hear them preach because that's what they were being judged by in Corinth. And it was not how successful they were in getting a crowd. That certainly wasn't a sign of a true apostle. But God had chosen to identify them through signs and wonders and miracles. This is God's way of, of affirming them as to who they were. It is so sad that many believers think today in our day, that signs, wonders, and miracles are the, are the evidence of someone who's truly filled with the Spirit of God. That, that's absolutely ridiculous. Signs, wonders, and miracles were never, ever, and you can't show me in the New Testament, ever, were they a pattern for anyone except for Christ and for the, His appointed specific apostles during those times to identify them as to who they were. The author of Hebrews helps us to understand this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And then he just describes how that salvation came about. He says, after it was at the first spoken through our Lord, 
Now watch carefully. It was confirmed to us, which is another generation Christian here, by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Who are the them? Who are the those who heard? It's the apostles. And God used that to identify them, just like he used signs, wonders, and miracles in his own life to identify who he was. But we do not need signs, wonders, and miracles. Now we have the Scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's a, we're living in a brand newness of time. And so don't think that your life has to have signs, wonders, and miracles in them. Can God do that in specific people when he chooses? Well, certainly he can, but it's not a pattern. It's not a pattern. It's not what we look at to see whether or not a person is valid today. That's what validated them back then. Signs and wonders and miracles were simply the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the people's lives to give credibility to what they did. You say, what signs and wonders did Paul do, Wayne? I didn't know he was involved in that. I'm glad you asked. In Paphos, God enabled Paul to blind a man by the name of Elymas, the sorcerer, for opposing the gospel. as in Acts 13, 6 through 12. In Iconium, God enabled Paul to perform many signs and wonders, as he talked about in Acts 14, 1 through and 3. In Lystra, God enabled Paul to enable a crippled man to get up and walk, Acts 14, 8 through 10. He described in detail the signs and wonders that God had done in the Gentile world through him uh, to the Jerusalem council when he met with them in Acts 15 and verse 12. In Philippi, God enabled Paul to exercise a demon from a demon-possessed girl in Acts 16, 16 through 18. In Ephesus and throughout all Asia Minor, God enabled Paul to perform all kinds of miracles, including a handkerchief that he touched that actually would, would bring healing to people. In Troas, God enabled Paul to bring Eutychus back to life after his deadly fall in Acts 20, 9 through 12. In Malta, God enabled Paul to heal Publius, his father, and other sick people on the island in Acts 28, 1 through, 1 through 10. These were the signs that identified him as a true apostle in his day. And it says he performed them with all perseverance. You realize what that says? The implication of the word perseverance is it's the word epomone. And epomonia means to bear up under. And what he's saying is, even in the midst of the miracles that God was doing through us, people still rejected us. It wasn't the miracles that did anything for a lot of people, but yet they were severely treated, even in the midst of God's identifying them through the miraculous things he was doing through their life. But Paul is saying, why don't you judge me by the effectiveness, the spiritual effectiveness of the ministry God has given to me? Why do you compare me to these false teachers who have all kinds of, of crowds and they charge for what they do? There's no integrity with them at all? You see, the greatest miracle that is done through an individual's life is the miracle of a transformed life. Not the signs, wonders, and miracles. That, yeah, they were used. But the greatest miracle that we're part of even today is the transformation of other people's lives. He says in chapter 3, you are my letter. I love that read by all men. The Corinthians had forgotten evidently what they used to be and how God miraculously had transformed their lives. That's the truest miracle of any miracle you'll ever want to be a part of. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul wrote these words, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 11, such were some of you. He speaks to the congregation there at Corinth. But you were washed, and that's a miracle. And you were sanctified, that's a miracle. But you were justified, that's a miracle, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So the effectiveness of the ministry Christ was doing through him was clearly seen by everyone. He pointed to Christ. He never pointed to himself. He really believed he was a nobody apart from Christ. Christ was the somebody that lived in him. Now listen, though you and I will never be seen by the signs, wonders, and miracles to give us credibility, when we allow Jesus to be Jesus in our life, you can write it down. He's going to do eternal transforming things in the lives of others, and that always shows the effectiveness and the realness of who we are. He will positively, he'll positively affect others, whether we're appreciated or not. So to me, make sure daily when you go to bed at night, Make sure that you've dealt with any sin that's come up in your life and you've confessed that and you've, you've sought to repent by trusting God in it. And make sure that, that you're just no agendas other than just Jesus being Jesus in you. And you can write it down. God will at some point prove you to men, even though you're unappreciated by them now, you just wait. God will vindicate you. God will prove you. As long as you're living in that relate, right relationship with him, you don't have to worry about what men do or what they don't do, what they say or what they don't say. God will prove you. God will prove you to be real, and to be a believer. Years ago, I had a situation, this is before I ever came here and knew any of you, and, and it was in, when I was in Tennessee pastoring. Two people on my staff, at this, at the, almost within just a short period of time, turned on me, and, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in my life. Things were said about me that weren't true. Things were, uh, it was amazing. This is just it's another story. And I was listening to the radio one day, feeling sorry for myself. You ever felt sorry for yourself? Anybody in here ever felt sorry for yourself? Have you ever noticed that when you have a pity party, nobody shows up but you? <laughs> and I was riding along just feeling sorry for myself because I couldn't seem to, to answer them the right way. Nobody would listen to me. And I was listening to Joseph Stoll on Moody Radio. I love Moody Radio, and I love Joseph Stoll. And he used to be president there. And Joseph, he, he, Joe said that day on the radio, he said, if you've been misaligned, if, if you've been criticized, if, if, you've, if somebody's trying to tear down who you really are, et cetera, et cetera, he said there are two things you can hang on to today that will encourage you. One is truth, and the other is time. He said truth and time will be the two things God will use to prove you to be the one who's genuine, but you don't have, have to do it yourself. You just let God do that. You just walk proven before him. He that God commends is approved. You live that way, and then let God commend you before other men. Let God prove you before other men, but it'll be truth, and it'll be time. Two years almost to the day when I heard that program, I had a letter from one of these individuals asking me to forgive him for what he did, and the other one called me on the same day, living in different states, not even having talked with each other. And I thought to myself, you don't have to jump out there trying to, to say this or that, say it, that, or to say that. God will prove you. 
God will prove you. Live a life before him that you know that you and him are okay, that you know that you've dealt with any sin that's in your life, that you're seeking to only be about his will. If you live that way, don't you worry about what people say about you. God will prove you amongst men as long as you live proven before him. That's the bottom line that I want you to see as an encouragement to your heart. But the second thing about Paul, he was proven not only by the effectiveness of his ministry, Paul was proven by the integrity of his methods, how he went about his ministry. You see, it's not just the ministry that God has through an individual, it's how they go about that ministry. I've said many times, it's not what you do for people, it's how you go about doing it. That's what proves you. Not what you do, how you go about the spirit that you go about doing what you do. Verse 13. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. <laughs> Paul asked him a question that has an easy answer to it because they know the answer. When he says, in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? You see, they knew. They knew this. Christ in, in, in Paul had loved those people just like he had loved others. In fact, when you deal with rebellious children, sometimes the love is even seen in a greater way. And, and they knew that. They knew that. The only thing that Paul did differently with the church of Corinth that he didn't do with the other churches was that he didn't take a dime from them, not one, one cent. This is what he means by the phrase, except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Now, he realizes now that they totally did not understand this. And in fact, used it as a criticism of him. You see, what Paul taught was free. And the teachers of the Greek culture there, they would charge people to come and hear them. But what Paul taught couldn't be marketed on the street with today's world's ways. That wasn't what he was doing. Instead, he was preaching a message that would set people free, and it was free of charge. It was, you didn't charge for people to hear it. His not charging those, however was one thing that led the false teachers to criticize him. He must be a nobody. But he says rather sarcastically, forgive me this wrong. <laughs> I love the way he just goes back and forth here. Not because he saw it as wrong, but because he realized in their foolish way of thinking, they couldn't see the forest for the trees, and they saw it as wrong. In fact, Paul felt like a father to them. And as any father would be to his children, he would never ask anything of them. He'd want to give to them. He says in verse 14, he says, here for this third time I'm ready to come to you, and, I, and I'll not be a burden to you. I'm not going to change anything, for I do not seek what is yours, and I love this. I love this. I seek you. What he's saying is I just want you to understand the message and live in the fullness of what Christ offers. He says, but for children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. As a true father he, he, he loves the child more than the chi child ever thought about loving him. He says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? My daughter Stephanie, you know Stephen and my love for him. My daughter Stephanie's just, oh, she's the same way. Just You see her and the smiles on her face. And just every time she calls, it's just the sun comes up. It's just she's got that kind of up spirit, and she's just so positive and and every time we finish our emails or signing off for each other or when we talk, finish our conversations, we race to see who's the, who's the one that can, can last the longest by saying, I love you more. 
And on the phone, she'll say, I love you more. I said, no, I love you more, click. I hang up so she can't say it, so I win. And on the emails, I always put, I love you more, and she'll write back with big capital letters, no, you don't, I love you more. Well, it was true. Paul loved them more than they ever thought about loving him. And why would they criticize somebody that loved them? You can hear the critical words of those opposing Paul just by what he says, verse 16. But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. <laughs> that's another tongue-in-cheek way of saying that's what they're saying, isn't it? I took you in by deceit. That was so opposite of what Paul did. Isn't it interesting, though? You would think the apostle Paul, who could miss it? But they missed it. They missed it. They didn't even realize what was in their midst. They didn't even realize that Paul, there was a man God had, had, had put in their midst. They, they didn't see it. He, he had not only not taken advantage of them, but the people he would send to work with them had the same spirit, and they didn't take advantage of them. It says in verse 17 and 18, Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you. Have, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? It's just amazing to me when I think of the Corinthian church and I think of Paul. The proof was right in front of them, but they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. They had a true apostle standing right there in front of them, and yet they did not, did not in, in, in any way appreciate who he was and what God was doing in his life. God will affirm you, though. You see, Paul was affirmed even though they hadn't seen it yet. But Paul was being affirmed by the effectiveness of his ministry. What do you mean, Wayne? By what the Holy Spirit chooses to do through your life. That, that points not to you. That points back to God. But also, if you will just hang in there and, and trust God, he will, he will prove you by the integrity of your, message, your methods. You see, you might be here today and have a husband who could care less about the, the, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may have to go home every day as a wife who loves Jesus with all your heart. And you may have to hear all the horrible things that he says to you and, and all the things he does to you. And you think, well, why can't he see the realness of my life? Why can't he see the changes in my life? You just leave it alone. You know that God's approved of you and God is your completeness and God is your sufficiency. And in your weakness, just continue to let him con to, to pour out his strength in you. And God will prove you, God will prove you in his time and his way by the effectiveness of Christ loving through you and by the integrity of the way you go about doing what you do. I want to say that again. It's never what you do for people. It's the way you go about doing it that points to Christ. Any person that doesn't even know God can do good things, but they cannot do it in the fruit, the love of the Spirit of God. That's something nobody can refute. That's, somebody that, that's something that everybody understands. But then thirdly, he was proven by the purity of his motive. Christ in Paul had produced such a love for the believers in Corinth that caused him to do everything that he did for their benefit, even his defense of his own actions, which he hated to do. He was using that to help them. It wasn't just simple, I, I must defend myself. No, it's more than that. He's trying to help them see something. Verse 19, all this time you've been thinking that we're defending ourselves to you. No, 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 no. He continues and says, actually, here's what it really is. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. He says there's a difference 
of reacting by defending yourself and there's a difference in what you say in defense to help somebody else understand something. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. The word upbuilding is the word ekodomi, which means to build up. Now we have another word that's very similar, which means to edify. Everything I've done is to build you up. It's not to tear you down. Even when I've said the hard things, Paul says, it's to build you up. Ephesians 4, 29 uses this word in the, the life and the character of a believer. and says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. The two words that pop up in that particular verse, the edification word that we're looking at, build up, but there's the opposite of it is what the false teachers were doing in Corinth. It's the word unwholesome, unwholesome. Do you know what the word unwholesome means in the Greek? It's the word that means putrid, smelly, rotten. It's one of those great words you love to say, you know. It's my son's tennis shoes when he used to put them in the garage and the car would back out by itself. It's the smelly. Whoa. I remember we had our little three-year-old nephew came and visited. He's 17 now, but years ago. He came to visit us, and he got in the car with Diana going to church on a Wednesday night. And <laughs> I was already there. And, he, and they passed a dead skunk in the middle of the road. How many of you remember that old song, dead skunk in the middle of? But anyway, they passed a dead skunk. <laughs> I said that last night. and They're just too young. And when he went by it, he didn't know what it was. He said, pee And he's watching how high-pitched they are. And, and <laughs> he said, what is that? And Diana said, that's a skunk, and he couldn't say it real well. And he got to church and just ran in. And we had this uh, pitched roof, and it was uh, the church auditorium did, and it was wood. It had a real, a real acoustics were real strong in there. And he walked in, and he said, Uncle Wayne, Uncle Wayne. I said, what, Nathan? He said, we passed a, and he couldn't say skunk. That was the cutest thing. He, you know, skunk in the middle of the road. And, and I said, what did it smell like? And he said, pee And he was 12 octaves higher than what I can do. And everybody standing around him went, whoa, because it ricocheted off of, those, off of those, that wood there. You see, Paul said, I'm not like those false teachers that say all those things that are rotten, that are tearing you down, you think are building you up. Everything I have said is in, is in edification. It's to build you up. Even if it's hard, it's to help you. Even if it's to defend who I am as opposed to who they are, it's to help you. It's to build you up in your faith. It's to build you up in your discernment. It's almost like he's saying, can't you see it? The difference of that which is false and the difference of that which is true. And even in the midst of their blatant carnality, he was still trying to help them understand by doing what he hated to do by defending himself. Verse 20, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may, and may be found by you <laughs> to be not what you wish. How would you like to have the Apostle Paul come into your life when you're not living obedient to Christ? <laughs> you wouldn't like, he wouldn't like what he sees, and you definitely wouldn't like what you see. He says that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, Disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Wow. All of the things he mentions there in that verse are characteristics of an unhealthy church. And Paul has apprehension here. He's, he's very apprehensive. He doesn't know how he's going to find them. He knows that back in chapter 7, many of them had repented and turned back towards him. But he doesn't know that the whole church has dealt with sin. 
And he, remember he says back in, in chapter 2 and 3, he says, there's going to be a lot of people that don't hear the message. They hear the same truth, but it's death to death instead of life to life. And he knows that not everybody, not everybody is going to respond properly, and he's apprehensive. He doesn't know the spiritual state of the church that he'll find when he comes on his third visit to Corinth. Had they truly dealt with sin in their midst? And in verse 20 again, For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not what I wish and be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, anger, and goes on. Would they be a healthy church? Would there be a healthy church? You know, the way you can tell you have a healthy family is by looking at these things. If you have angry tempers, jealousy, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, that's what the flesh causes and when people are not willing to live proven by God, this is what happens. And this is what happens to their relationships and what happens to a church and what happens to a family, what happens to friends. Verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, sensuality which they've practiced. You have to go back to 1 Corinthians to understand that. Chapter 5 and chapter 6, there was all kinds of sins of immorality that they weren't dealing with. It may not be the specific sin everywhere you would deal with, but that was Corinth's problem. And he said, I'm not so sure that you've even heard anything. If you're not willing to deal with sin in your life, how in the world can you even begin to think about having faith and, and walking in discernment in your walk? He knew that even though many had truly repented, that there would be some that just chose not to go that route. But even in all of this, this is what I want you to see. Even with that hanging over him and the apprehension of going there, not knowing what he had find, and still having to deal with all the, the, the foundless, foundationless criticism that came at him, he could still stand with his head held high because he knew he was seeking to please the one that lived in him. And that's what I want to tell you today. If, as long as you live that way, don't, don't worry. You're going to feel the pain. I felt the pain. All of us have felt the pain of what people who won't, can't see beyond their own flesh. They don't have any discernment. They don't know the difference between that which is real and that which is unreal. Don't worry about them. God will prove you before them. And it, it'll be in his time and it'll be in his way, but it'll be the effectiveness of the, of the ministry he has in your life. It'll be the integrity of the methods and how you treat people and how you go about you, what you do. It'll be in the purity of your motive. And God will prove you. God will prove you. That's, that's the key to all of us, isn't it? If I was preaching to a whole room full of pastors, that's, that's the key. But all of us have our own flocks. All of us have our own influence. And we're going to have to learn that the Christian family can be the meanest, cruelest place that you've ever been in your entire life because you don't expect them to treat you like the world treated you. And I, I can truthfully say, over the 43 years I've been in the pastorate and ministry, over those years, the meanest, rudest people I've ever met have never been out in the world it's been within the walls of a church of people that won't walk beyond their own desires. But I'll tell you what, the sweetest people I have ever met on this planet Earth have also been beside those walls of the church. 
The people who say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. The people who wake up every morning and say, God, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. The people who wake up and say, there's none like you, Lord. There's none like you. You're worthy of my worship. And they live that way are the finest human beings on the face of this earth because Christ in them is so loving to others around them. So you got both. You have both. But remember, be one of those. Be one of those. And God will prove you out. God will prove your life. I can't believe that Adrian Rogers is also in heaven. He and Dave are getting to see what you and I have not seen. We live by faith. They, live, they walk by sight. <laughs> would, could, would it be interesting if you could go up and say, Adrian, Dave, we've talked to the Lord, and he has told us you can come back for another 25 years. Come on, man, go back with us. Can you imagine what they'd say to us today? <laughs> are you kidding me man get yourself out of here son or hurry up and get up here we're not leaving this is what we were made for this we're at home we're at home with the lord but adrian rogers pastored the bellevue baptist church a great wow what a church in memphis tennessee adrian went to a meeting one time he, he preached he did a lot of conferences like i do and he went into a meeting and he, he was trying to be kind to the people. He asked God to fill him with his spirit. He asked God to, to give him the gracious response to people that were critical to things that he said, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He preached to his heart out. And the last night he was there, he realized the people had sat and looked at him like a calf at a new gate all week long. I mean, they just looked and stared at him. They didn't get it. He saw that they didn't get it. They, they were dull of hearing. They couldn't hear what, the, what could have set them free. And he was sitting on the, on the platform. They had the chairs up on the platform. And he was sitting there so defeated. He said, I was so defeated to think that I'd been such a failure. Can't they see what I'm trying to tell them? And he said, he opened up his Bible. And he said, I didn't recommend this as a practice. And it fell open to Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 5. And listen to what God said to him. As for them, whether they listen or not, and then there was a parenthesis, for they're a rebellious house, they will know, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And he said, God just said to him, what I'm saying to you and what Paul says to the Corinthians, God will prove you. God will prove you. But the main thing is not what men say. The main thing is what does he say? And if you'll live in approve, approval of him daily, saying yes to him, then you don't have to worry about men. God, in his own time, in his own way, he'll prove you. Just keep on saying yes to him. That's bottom line. Don't worry about the rest of it. And let it fall where it falls, but you watch. He will prove his own amongst his people. Well, I just can't help but feel like that might be an encouragement to somebody here today because maybe you live in a world and you get no appreciation, none. Remember Rodney Dangerfield? Wasn't he one of those comedians that said, nobody appreciates me? <laughs> said he'd go to school and come home and find out his family moved. I mean, maybe you, maybe, maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel that way. But I'm just trying to tell you, if you walk saying yes to him, you don't have to worry about any of the rest of it. Because his hand will be on you. You can live in the fullness of what he offers to you. And you can't get any better because there's none like him. And he will prove you. He will prove you amongst men. Whether they think so or not, he will prove you amongst men. The effectiveness of what he does through you, 
the integrity of how he works through you, the methods. And then he'll prove you by the purity of your heart. He'll prove you. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.